And now it's time for the Sports Illustrated Longhorn Maven Podcast with your hosts, Chris and Dalton. I'm Dalton Sweat sitting down with Chris Dukes, the publisher of Sports Illustrated Longhorn Maven to talk about the Longhorn football season. Now that we're kind of into the offseason, I know there's still some other football to be played, but not football for the University of Texas at this point. But uh, we might as well go ahead and, and get right into it and, and talk a little bit about this bowl game recap and maybe some of these new uh, coaching hires that we've got out here in Longhorn Nation. Chris, how, how are you doing now that the football season for Texas is kind of concluded? Oh, uh, finally, you know, gathering gathering some bearings, you know, and enjoyed a, a couple of almost semi-days off there. Uh, Coming up for air. Days. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, coming back from San Antonio, and uh, now I'm kind of settling in for off season and, and all the stuff that's going on because there's plenty. All right, if you want to find out more uh, about Chris or his coverage, you can go to si.com/slash/college/slash/texas or follow on Twitter at Duke's Take D U K E S T A K E Duke's Take uh, on Twitter. So uh, let's go ahead and just roll into this and talk about the bowl game. Uh, a little bit. I don't really want to go into a deep dive uh, recap, anything like that. It's a 38 to 10 win over a very good Utah football team. Um, and but overall, the big question that we have from from Longhorn Nation, you know, we saw this last year. We saw this with Georgia. Um, you know, Texas thought this was a, a that that bowl win was a a pole vault into the next season. And this time, I'm not sure everybody's willing to take the bait. Do you think that this win for the Longhorns over Utah is actually something worth being excited about in terms of the future of Longhorn football? I think you can pick certain aspects of the win out and say, okay, this and this. As we kind of go through, I know I know we kind of will. Number one, you know, uh, using a, a little bit more of a traditional four-man front and the, the pressure they were able to get with some of those guys, especially some of the guys that are going to be coming back next year. Uh, and really just the way the offense seemed to play a little looser and more free. Uh, these are all things that I think you can take away from it. But I also don't think, like you said, Texas fans are going to take the bait again. And uh, there's no we're back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Sam Ellinger, you know, at the end, uh, during the press conference after the game was over, you know, kind of joked about maybe saying it and uh, decided, you know, said, I better not say that. Yeah. And then... Uh, probably a good idea. And, and <laughs> then Coach Herman immediately said, yeah, that's probably pretty smart. Like, right after. It was it was one of the uh, the, the, the more moments of levity, uh, you know, on New Year's Eve there in San Antonio. Uh, I think it can send you into the offseason with a good feeling. Uh but nobody's going to compare it to the kind of momentum that last year's game was supposed to create for the program and didn't. Uh, so, yeah, I just think that maybe, maybe a little bit easier off season for for some of the, some of the powers that be that that are going to have you know a prove it year this year. But nothing, nothing, nothing that's going to vault you into the national scene or anything like that. It's nothing compared to the Sugar Bowl last year. So I, I agree that it won't. Uh, it, it's not going to help Texas come out with a top ten ranking next year. You know, which is what happened after the Georgia victory, it put Texas into that conversation. And I, I don't think that's going to happen for the actual expectations for next year. I think it actually bodes well. I really, I really do. Um, I liked what I saw. I liked, we've talked about it a number of times on the podcast about whether or not you could see the fight in this team and how hard the, the fight and the mentality of this team was. And you, you certainly saw it there. 
I think you also got a little reprieve from the Tom Herman doom and gloom of, oh my God, can this guy really coach? Because all of a sudden you look at, he, you give him a little time to develop a game plan with nobody else to help him out on the staff, and he can do a pretty darn good job. Um, and and I, I was very impressed overall, you know, with the with the the game plan that they came up with, with the execution that they had. I thought it was a very uh, positive sign that I think will actually have carryover in the next season um, because of some of the elements behind why Texas was actually as good as they were in, in, in that. And that takes me to, I guess, part number two. I think the health of this team was as good as it's been all season at that bowl game. I think that's the type of team the Longhorns could have seen through most of the year if they hadn't suffered a rash of injuries. I, I think that it was – that was – we saw closer to the ceiling of what this team could be for sure. Uh and, and they never, I mean, maybe a little bit in the Texas Tech game when they got things rolling, but really never really approached their ceiling through most of the season. Uh, and and kind of like you said, uh, there's there's a lot of good carryover you can take away from that because so many players are coming back. And I know we're going to have a separate podcast at some point for that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's definitely something, it's something to feel good about. And, and, and like I said, you kind of saw, especially on defense, you know, they ran a scheme more similar to what you're going to see under Chris Ash with the four down linemen and, and, you know, Joseph Osai just wreaking absolute havoc in, in the Utah backfield. And they kind of unleashed him as a weapon the way, you know, I mean, use his talents fully. He's not dropping back into coverage and trying to chase down slot receivers. You know, he's he's going and getting the quarterback and creating, you know, trouble for the, the opposing offense. Uh, so, yeah, I, I – it's it's hard to it's it's hard to you know I, I just don't I, I know Texas fans aren't aren't jump up and down rah rah like they were last year and mm-hmm. and probably shouldn't be, but if you if you pick out the the things that that you can carry over into next year and the things that you can carry into the off season, then yes uh, I think I mean obviously you'd rather win thirty eight ten than lose thirty eight ten in one of these games for sure yeah I mean it's something like sixteen returning starters give or take a little bit. Um, the biggest class that tech, Texas has in terms of contributors right now, in my opinion, is the sophomore class. They're going to be upperclassmen next year. I think there's a lot of carry over there. And I, I, I just happen to think they got healthy. They finally had their playmakers on the field. They had Malcolm Johnson to compliment Devin DuVernay. They had uh, not, not only a, a defense, but some of their best players on defense back in a secondary that had been ravaged with injuries and now appears to be eight or nine players deep, you know, because so many people got playing time. Uh, To me, it just looked like what Texas could have been if they were healthy, and I think that's why last year there were some questions about how well the Georgia win would carry over, especially losing eight starters on defense or whatever it was uh, coming into the season. That's not the same story that we're seeing now. This was this is a point that I think they can use as a stepping stone to get into a better place next year because they're not going to be trying to look for quite as much help and the the graduating starters are a little more evenly split outside of I guess they're a little offensive heavy but not not incredibly 
I, I, I just think this is a building block where last year I can see why it didn't carry over because there were so many people graduating from that team. That and I think maybe, you know, going into the offseason a little salty after losing five games is, isn't going to hurt things either. True. I, I think there's there's some motivation there. You know, a lot of people, it, uh, you know, I talked to some of the beat writers after the game and, you know, there was there was some of that cop, cautious optimism, but also, you know, kind of a look at like, man, it shouldn't take, you know, four weeks to come up with a game plan for this to work the way it did. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it's it's also a little bit of an indictment. I mean, I know I know health was a problem, but it's also a little bit of an indictment on on this coaching staff and and what what they did with what they had this year. Unfortunately, I think too. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see how that all pans out. You know. Uh, I know we're going to jump into uh, to the new coordinator hires and and you know some of the support staff that might be coming in, but um, yeah, I, I I think I think like I said, there's a, there's positives and then there's some negatives you can take from from that, and and you can't you can't forget the fact that you you lost five games this year either, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which could also be used for motivating, but it, it's got it's got to give some pause to the to, to the, there's not going to be a runaway hype train like I said, there's not no. <laughs> the uh, the Texas is back meme is at least retired for for the time being, put up on the shelf for later on. So yeah, we'll yeah. See. Wait till OU Texas weekend next year, and then maybe yeah. we can talk about who's back. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. We'll see where things are. Or you know, ask me on my drive back from Baton Rouge next uh, next next September. We'll yeah. see if Texas is back. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and get into those coaching hires and talk a little bit about them. Uh, mainly offensive defensive coordinators at this point. As far as I know, they're still filling in some of the uh, position coaches. Uh, I'm I'm not sure that I'm not sure that too many have been hired officially at all at this point. Yeah, and honestly, you know, there's a chance some of that stuff could break between now and the time we finish this podcast. Or I, I literally it gets heard up. <laughs> a little talk about it right before you walked in the door to yeah. start this. So who who knows where it'll be by the time anybody's listening to this? But let's start on offense. Uh, Mike Yursich is coming over from Ohio State as the passing game coordinator. Or, excuse me, he was the passing game coordinator there. Uh, He didn't call plays. That's not too strange to me, considering, you know, their current head coach is uh, the former offensive coordinator. It seems okay that he wasn't a play caller. It's not a a slight on him, I don't don't think, in that situation. But, and heck, he he might not even be calling plays at Texas. So, uh, we'll, we'll have to see on that one. Previously at Oklahoma State for six years, um, where he did call plays, uh, coached under Mike Gundy uh, for a lot of really, really stellar offenses. Um, so tell me a little bit about what your thoughts are on on uh, your Uh You know, if you just took what he did at Oklahoma State, I think it would be a good hire. But, you know, you go, you go learn under Ryan Day, who's one of the best offensive minds in the country for a year. You know, after you've been coaching, I mean, after you've been calling your own plays for six years, I, you know, I kind of think of it as like, finishing school, you know, you know, there's, it's, it's good to see a coach be able to continue to put that learning cap back on and not, not, I mean, he swallowed his pride, went there for a year to learn under another coach, to, to learn, learn a different way of doing things. Uh, As far as, as far as his abilities as a play caller, that Oklahoma state offense has been as consistently good an offense as any in the country over the last six, seven years. And, and he's got a big, big part of that. I mean, he, he played a big role in that, you know, put some guys in the NFL and, you know, your, your Mason Rudolphs and uh, a really a good quarterback coach. I know, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll jump into the other side of things in a minute. Uh, but as far as, as far as 
as far as a guy that you think you think of whenever you think of uh, knowing football, Mike Gundy's a guy that is respected all over the country. And if he thinks that you can coach offensive football and he's willing to give up his play calling duties to you, that that's a big sign. I think I think it's I. I, I, I like that. I know, I know we kind of talked before that, you know, I think we're on opposing sides on which coach hire we like better. <laughs> and this is the one I like the, like more because I feel like Herman did a little more due diligence, went outside of his, his immediate circle and, and found a guy who he can, he believes he can hand the, the reins over to maybe enough that, you know, he can get back to being a CEO and an overseer of this program. So I, I'll talk, talk a little bit about some of the parts that I do like. And you mentioned one of them. So I, I like the fact that he studied under Mike Gundy because Mike Gundy is a really good offensive football coach. And so he spent a lot of time there, cut his teeth as an offensive coordinator under one of the better offensive coaches in, in the nation. And so I also like that he got an opportunity to learn from a different program because he got to add some of the Urban Meyer elements to his repertoire, even though he didn't coach with Urban Meyer. Um, it, it gave him an opportunity to learn a different system. And, and one of the things that I love about Urban Meyer's scheme is that it's really a, uh, his is really based around space uh, and trying to get individual matchups because his players are better than the players on the other side of the field almost all the time at Ohio State. And so all he's trying to do is get one-on-one matchups because he's confident that his guy can beat the guy across from him. And that's starkly different than what you see at Oklahoma State, where they're trying to game plan their way into advantages. And so I like the fact, because to me, these are kind of opposing offensive styles or goals that he has been underneath both of them. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that that leads to a more well-rounded offensive coordinator that can mold the, those two ideas together. That, and I think uh, if you look at those Oklahoma State offenses, you, you're going to see a little bit more of a traditional uh, downhill running game with, with your running backs than what we've seen at Texas, where, you know, Sam Ellinger's been, they've leaned on him so heavily in the run game. I, and, you know, getting into, not getting into too deeply into recruiting, but you're bringing in Bijan Robinson – your your running back room next year is hey, gonna fingers be... crossed still okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, if you look at the Zach Evans thing, there's <laughs> there's no telling these days what a letter of intent means. But uh, but your uh, your running back room next year is gonna be one of your the strengths of this team. It, I mean, com- in in the past few years, you really you really look at your quarter. I mean, your uh, your receivers, and that's your your best skill position. But next year, your three deep <laughs> your three deep is gonna be ridiculous at running back. You, you've got two guys with. Big time experience, and then a, a, a freshman who's going to come in and challenge for challenge those two guys for playing time right off the bat, and and to get a guy like Yurcich, who, you know, you look at the the Oklahoma State offense under behind you know Chuba Hubbard over the last few years. That's that's kind of what he wants to do with this, and you know, yes, he's still going to you're still going to use those big wide receivers on the outside, but you're going to use them in a number. You're going to you're going to you're going to be counting numbers every, every single play and and putting defenses at disadvantages and running with. You know, six guys in the box and 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 making big plays, and I, I think this, I think it's, I think it's conducive to the personnel that Texas is going to have. You know, three three offensive linemen returning, three great running backs. Uh, I I I like that aspect of his, uh, you know, his play calling and, and his offensive philosophy as well. And when you say counting numbers every time, let's go a little bit deeper into that because that's kind of a, I guess, an RPO type talk. 
tell me what what that means to you when you say it's going to be an offense that's counting numbers each time. Well, I mean, you know, I think some of it's going to be checks too. You know, at, at the line of scrimmage, there'll, there'll be some RPO game thrown in there. I, you know, I don't think he's going to just transplant the Oklahoma State offense here either. I. I think part of the reason Herman hired him is because, you know, they both come from that, like you said, the Urban Meyer. I mean, they both got experience in that Urban Meyer power spread, which, you know, Texas has been known to run over the past few years. Uh, but there's going to be, I, I think, you know, you, you saw Texas, I mean, you saw Oklahoma State do it all the time, you know, get up to the line. If there's seven guys in the box, we're going to throw we're going to throw it. If there's, if there's six guys in the box, we're going to run it. You know, we've got, they, you know, they had talent at wide receiver that, that, could, could beat guys one-on-one, which Texas should have. I mean, those guys are going to have to grow up a lot. But. Yeah, it's young, but you can see the makings of a, of a good wide receiver core there. You know, Malcolm Epps and uh, Brennan Eagles and a couple of those others. You can still those, see the talent there. Those guys have raw talent, and, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, without Duvernay commanding double teams and Colin Johnson command, demanding double teams, you know, how that works, you know. But that, that'll that be, you know, spring football talk, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, but, you know... I think you're going to see them do a little bit more of, you know, reacting to what defenses are doing and, you know, taking the easy yards when they're there and taking, you know, the big plays when they're there. It's, it's, it's an offense built to, 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 to put your guys in a position. I mean, in in an advantage position, like you said, I mean, it's, it's not your one-on-one, my guy's better than your guy. We're going to, we don't care what you do. We're going to line up and run this. It's your, Hey, if they're gonna if they're gonna put that safety all the way back there to take to try to you know get help to their corner, then we're gonna run right up the middle, right over them. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're gonna run Roshan Johnson, we're gonna run uh, Keonta Ingram, and we're gonna we'll, we'll take the six yards you're gonna give us, five yards you're gonna give us on every play. So we've debated a million times who calls plays when, and uh, over the last couple of years, uh, when did the play calling duties become Tom Herman's? When they when did they become a committee? Um, who's calling plays in 2020? If if it's not if it's not Mike Yurcich, things have gone bad. Uh, I, I I really think Herman picked him because this is the guy he 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 said you know there was a the the day that they they arrived at the hotel for the Alamo Bowl there was a short press conference and he kind of talked a little bit about Yurcich, uh, you know obviously all good things but one of the things that got brought up was. So is the Alamo Bowl going to be the last time you call plays? He says, you know, you never can say never, but I think I'm a better head coach whenever I'm not calling plays. So this this hire was made because he no longer trusts. I mean, and, and it's nothing against Tim Beck, but he no longer trusted Tim Beck to to call the plays, and he needed a guy that could because he was letting little things go through, which we we talked about, you know, ad nauseum through some of. Some of our darker podcasts this year, <laughs> uh, but yeah, if if Herman if Herman's calling plays, things have things have gone off the rails in 2020. Let's go ahead and roll into the defensive coordinator Chris Ash. We've kind of known for a while, you know, offensive coordinator. We had to wait until after OSU was um, out of the college football playoffs. I guess with him, you need to explicitly state Ohio State, OSU. Um, But, uh, you know, Chris Ash has been around the program, has been the, was the expected hire, and then was the hire um, sometime in before Christmas. Um, He's a former head coach at Rutgers, uh, co-defensive coordinator at Ohio State, 
spent a little time at Arkansas, Wisconsin, Iowa State. In fact, I believe him and Herman coached together at uh, at Iowa State. Um, and then, uh, so he's got a, he's got a really quite an impressive resume with the with the caveat that he's not an up and comer rising star. He's more of the over the hill. It's falling. The, the star is falling at this time, and he's trying to rescue it back up. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, think think Nick Saban coordinator hires. You know, you could you could go that route. I'm not yeah. saying this is as good as you know. <laughs> I'm not saying that you know next year they're going to be Alabama or anything like that crazy. But you know, just in that style of you know getting a coach and that that's trying to rehab his reputation after you know a bad head coaching stint, but was a great coordinator. Uh, you know, if you look at his track record, Ash has fielded some pretty great defenses. Uh, a lot of them had Ohio State talent behind them. So, you know, it's 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 pretty easy whenever you've got those, you know, five-star guys coming in on a, on a, com- on a conveyor belt every single year. I mean, not easy, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what he does with it. Uh, one of the things Herman mentioned about the Ash hire is that his defensive scheme is set up to allow these guys to – use their talent and use their speed and and there's going to be less reading there's going to be less uh, re, you know reading of plays there's going to be less reacting and more attacking which he runs a 425 also yeah, yeah uh you know that it, it's it's like a modified 43 i think demarvion overshone is going to be your be your number 5 number 3 you know third linebacker fifth defensive back next year just cuz he fits that mold so well uh which you know that's also a spring football podcast that we're going to get into at some point <laughs> um but I, I think I think uh, for for what the talent that Texas has, I think Herman is betting on his defensive talent with this hire and saying we are finally to a point where we've got the guys that we don't have to we don't have to scheme you know exotic blitzes to beat you. We can line up and say, hey, you guys you guys can't beat us. And I, I think these are the guys that this 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 class you know that that that's going to be juniors this year. That was the number three recruiting class in the country, real defense heavy. If you look at it, I mean, we kind of, you kind of touched on it earlier, mm-hmm. you know, sophomore, 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 especially in the Everywhere. secondary. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and these guys are coming of age and Herman believes uh, that this is going to be the hire that lets these guys play like, or lets these guys be stars. So I'm a, I, I do have a concern. I, I, I like the Chris Ash hire as, as much as I'm getting tired of, Ohio State retreads because it feels like that's the Texas Longhorn coaching staff at this point. Um, now, Ohio State's not a bad place to be hiring coaches from in general, but still it seems a little overdone having a head coach, an offensive coordinator, and a def- defensive coordinator all from the Urban Meyer scheme. Right. Still, Urban Meyer is one of the most successful college football coaches we've seen in 20 years, You know, just a notch below Nick Saban. So if you're going to hire from somewhere, I guess that's not a bad place to start. But... Um, the concern that I have, you talked about him having talent at um, Ohio State and using that talent to man up, if you will, um, without talk, talking specifically about a man defense, but just say, you've got to beat the guy across from me. RXs are better than your O's. Exactly. But my concern is that in his time as a defensive coordinator, he's never faced offenses like the Big 12. Um, I mean, week in and week out. He, here and there, sure. Um, you know, the Ohio State plays some pretty darn good offenses. But week in and week out, 
he has never faced what the Big 12 offers. Um, he's put together successful defenses, but the Big 10 offenses are just nothing like the Big 12. In fact, I'd say they're more like 1970s football than they are like the Big 12 offenses. Um, and so I'm a bit concerned that, you know, he spent a few years at Ohio State, so it's not like he has no experience there, but that was 15, 20 years ago. Um, I'm just concerned that he hasn't faced what he the gauntlet that he's going to face before um, in, in, in the Big 12, you know, conference game. There's there's a lot of truth to that and, and the offensive minds that are in the Big 12 right yeah. now. Uh, you know, you're talking, it's not, it's not you play, you know, one really great offense and you come up with a scheme to stop that one really great offense. You do that and there's another great offensive coordinator. Let's say you, you hold Oklahoma to 28 points and then the next week, you know, Mike, Mike Gundy's watching that film and he's like, man, there's nine ways we can beat this because now they've shown their hand and you've got to counter, you've got to counter that again. Uh, yeah. I, I, I worry about that too. I, I think that the big 12 has been a ruin of many a good defensive coach. Uh, you know, also, uh, you know, kind of mentioning it, you know, it's, it's interesting that Orlando is staying in the big 12, Mm -hmm. just a sidebar. Uh, but it's um, it's going to be – there's going to be a little bit of a trial by fire. You hate to say that a guy's untested when he's got the experience that, that, like a that huge Ash resume. does. Yeah. yeah, a huge resume. But, but yeah, it, it's – there's going to be a little bit of a trial by fire. I, I, I think, like I said, going back to I, – I think these guys, this staff believes right now that they have, they have the talent that the talent, the mature talent finally – and the depth that they are ready to, you know, be able to impose their their physical superiority on some of these other teams. So I'm just worried that, you know, he's got a lot of top 10 defenses in his time at Ohio State. Top 10 in the nation defenses. I'm worried that you take a top 10 in the nation defense in the Big Ten, and you put it in Big 12 conference play, and it's a top 50 defense right. in the nation. Because just of the type of talent and offense that's being run, in the Big 12. You know, people talk about, you know, like a Matt Campbell or, you know, even even Gary Patterson. And they're like, man, those are great defensive minds. But they're they're never in the top five in, in total defense. <laughs> no. Because they don't play – you don't play defense that way in the yeah. Big 12. You're not going to – you're not going to hold a team to 200 total yards. You know, uh-huh. everybody's going to get over 300, 350. It, it's how you play in certain situations. If you can get off the field on third downs and if you can play good defense in the red zone – and it'll be interesting to see if if Ash can, you know, adapt to that style of defensive coaching because it's it's definitely, it, it's not what, it, it, there's no Northwestern on the schedule. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you why I actually like this hire, why why I, I think it's a better hire than, than your sitch. Um, in the Alamo Bowl, we saw what Herman can do when he's got time to prepare. Uh, that's why I think this defensive coordinator hire is more important than the offensive coordinator hire because Herman doesn't need to be focused on the defense at all. I don't care how much head coach and CEO he wants to be. He does not need to be worried about the defense at all. We saw what he could do with a month of planning. He's four and zero in bowls for a reason. You give him time. He can make an incredible game plan. Well, you know what? I think I'd rather him focused on that 
them worried about the defense. You know, he needs to be able to turn over the reins completely so that he can focus on that offensive game planning. And that's why I like Ash. You know, he has head coaching experience. Um, I think he's the type of guy that you can turn over a significant portion of the program to and then just walk away. As good as Orlando, I think Orlando was a darn good defensive coach. I, think, I, I really do. I, I think he got I think he got thrown under the bus for some injuries, honestly. And you but, know, but that's the, a, another time, another at, discussion. At the at the same time, as good of a defensive coordinator as I think he is, he didn't have the experience to have that whole side of the ball just flat turned over to him. You know, where Tom Herman can walk away and just say, It's all yours. And he tried. He did try. But I don't think that Orlando had that level of experience. He still needed the head coach's oversight. Chris Ash doesn't. He's been a head coach. He's done this before. I think that Tom Herman can just walk away and say, you deal with it. I'm going to focus on the offensive side of the ball and my and my CEO-type duties. And that's why I really like this hire. I think the experience as a head coach and at a high-level program, the resume on this one was important to me. And I think that's why I appreciate this hire, and 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 I'm more excited about it than I am Yurisich. See, I, I, the reason I go the other way on this is, you know, we kind of just talked about it a little bit about, you know, experience in this conference, and and you know the style of football that gets played in this conference, where I, I feel like Yurisich is very well versed. You know, he he's seen all, every defensive coordinator that they're gonna. Almost every defensive coordinator that's going to try to stop his offense, he's he's schemed and he's probably scored forty points on over the past six years at least once. Mm-hmm. Uh, where where I think Ash is going to have a little bit of a a learning curve and and you know maybe maybe a, you, you wonder about maybe a little ring rust as far as you know calling defense and being on that side of the ball yeah. all the time. Uh, but I mean I, I think they're both they're both good coaches. I, I know. I I I I just uh, I feel like the Yurisic hire was a little more out a little more out of Herman's comfort zone and and out of that you know straight up Urban Meyer coaching tree that he's kind of built over the years and mm-hmm. and, and and that's I think that's why I like it more because I think it'll bring a little more innovation to the program than than the Ash hire. So I got a bit of a rant here. Um, I'm sorry. It just, it's been on my mind since I stalled these hires. Overall, I'm not incredibly impressed with either hire, but I agree. Both of them have a resume that's good enough. You know, um, they're qualified to be in this position. They're both not, of them. They're not head scratchers. Exactly. Least. Yeah. And so it's not that they're terrible hires, but I've got this eking feeling, this, this gnawing feeling at the back. You know, to me, Texas' goal is to be the best of the best. It's not to be really good. It's to be... Alabama, it's to be Clemson level good. Um, this is an A and M where nine wins is a, a cheering season. This is a team that wants to be a perennial powerhouse year in and year out. To do that, not only do you have to recruit well, you've got to build a program, but you also have to hire the best coaches across the board. Texas has the money to do it. You have you have to be innovative. You have to be ahead of the game, taking the next step. And these hires, to me, are not that. They're just not. To me, these look like save-my-job hires. They're, it's the bunker mentality. These are these are the type of hires that you make whenever you're just trying to live to see the next day. And, you know, there's that old adage that there's 
these are one of the guys that I would take in the foxhole with me. You grab your best friend that you know you can go down there in the foxhole and fight with. You know that this is somebody I can hunker down with. Circle the Raggins, pull in the guys you know will fight hard. And that's what it looks like Tom Herman has done to me. He brought in the guys that he knows personally. And I know Yurisich he hasn't really coached with, but he comes right from the same tree. Um, you know that he called Urban Meyer and said, give me the next, the next one on your list um, to, to get there. But, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. He's trying to fight his way out of a situation where he's going to potentially get fired if he doesn't. And so he's got his best friends coming in to get in that foxhole with him. And it's not a bad thing because you do have to climb out of the foxhole before you can get to Alabama Clemson. You've got to get to LSU or, you know, um, OU's level where you're competing year in and year out before you can then take that next step to perennial dominance. But it's not innovative what he's doing. It is a bunker mentality. It is grabbing my friends and it's not hiring the best coach. It's not going out and firing the best coach. You know, LSU has been at the top of the top five, eight, you know, programs year in and year out. They've made it to that level just below Alabama Clemson. And they tried to take their shot. That's what Joe Brady hire was. That was innovation. That was taking their shot at going for it all. And that's not what this is that Tom Herman is doing. He's hiring people who can help him get out of the bunker. He's not actually going for the best of the best. And that's why these are qualified hires. But I don't think they're the best hires. Yeah. I. To me... I feel like Herman thinks that they're closer than I think they are to being at that Clemson and Alabama level. I mean, I think that's kind of what these hires are is, you know, let's continue the process that we've already built. And it's really, it's not that much different than the process that, you know, made the team go, you know, eight and five this year. Uh, that's, that's, that's kind of, that would be my worrying part if I was, you know, a Texas, you know, a, a fan out there watching this and, Honestly, is just a, somebody who wants a cool bowl trip. I'm, it makes me worry a little bit. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but yeah, I, I I I tend to agree with you. I think that these are two these are two these are two very good football coaches. I mean, this I, this is not you know uh, either of us dragging this them through the mud or anything no. like that. It's just saying that these these hires signal that the process isn't really going to change all that much. And, and you know, the, the overall structure of the program isn't going to change all that much. They think, they think they are on the doorstep. And there were times this year they didn't even look like they were in the yard, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, you know, Herman said, you know, so much, you know, right after the season was over and, you know, right before the season ended, we're going to have to go and reevaluate everything. We're going to have to reevaluate everything. We're going to have to go back to square one and figure out where things went wrong. I don't, it does. These two hires don't feel like he did that. No. Uh, it feels like, it feels this like, is not going back to square one. For yeah. Sure. <laughs> it, it feels like he found two guys that, you know, fit what he wants to do. And he brought them in and they're going to, you know, they're going to, they're going to plug and play. They're going to plug the holes in the boat and, and, and keep on sailing it doesn't mean it couldn't work. I'm not saying yes. it can't work. Yeah, and we've we've kind of mentioned, you know, they weren't healthy at all last year. They mm-hmm. they were very young last year. These 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 sophomores are going to grow up and, you know, they 
they've already shown that they're pretty good, I mean, very good players, especially, you know, you know, all over the board, really. But, um, like you said, it, it shows that, that it, it, it shows to me that, that Herman just believes his program is closer than they looked at times this year. And maybe he's right. Like he, maybe he's, maybe he's the one that's right. He's, he's banking on this sophomore class. Yeah. He's banking, he's banking on that number three recruiting class mm-hmm. from two years ago that is, you know, is paying dividends. Yeah. You oh, can yeah. see it on the field. There's, oh, yeah, there's, there. there's, there's tons of talent all over yeah. the, all over the board. And, you know, and at every, at every position. Um, but it's, that's, that's, that's what it's going to come down to. He, he thinks that it's just player development and it's not anything fundamentally wrong with, with where the program was this year. And that's pretty obvious by the two hires. When we talk about, when I say not, these are good hires, but they're not hiring the best. I, I think there's a really easy example here. When Texas went after Joe Brady, what did LSU do? Paid him, backed up a money truck to his house. When Texas went after Cliff Kingsbury, or sorry, excuse me, um, uh, Graham Harrell. Yeah. What did USC do? Once again, yeah, they there was uh, there was definitely a. A money truck, you know, at the Harrell household. When Texas went after Mike Yursich, what did Ohio State do? Uh, wished him, wished him the best of luck. That's my point. Yeah, like I, you, Ohio State didn't fight to keep this guy. They didn't say, "Oh, we'll make you co-offensive coordinator, and we're going to give you a million bucks." They said, "Okay, nice knowing you. Have fun." That it, it's not saying that he's not a good coach. But it's obviously not the best of the best. And I think that's that's where I'm disappointed. And it's not saying that this can't work. It's just I was hoping for that next level. You know, I really was. I was hoping for the hires that I could look at and say, I could see how this would get Texas into the, the FBS playoffs. You know, and, and these to me are how Texas can maybe win a Big 12 championship. Not how can Texas get to the Big 12, get to the 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 playoffs actually yeah I think uh, I I think that this is this is a playing it safe and, and kind of what I said before it, it feels like Herman has a paint by numbers idea of what he what a what a great football program is supposed to be and he has it in his head and nothing's really going to deviate from from that I mean he's going to find another guy that's like the guy that he had before I mean not necessarily scheme wise because I think both these guys are you know different I mean they they bring some different ideas and some different philosophies but as far as you know, their overall idea of how a football program is supposed to work, they they're all clearly aligned under the same tree, and that can be good and that can be bad. Yeah, and and, and that's why you said you like your sitch better is because he does have some different outside experience that he can bring in, whereas Chris Ash is probably more right in line with what Tom Herman's been thinking. So I, I understand that outlook too, um, but you know, I, I've spit plenty and plenty of. Uh, negative here in terms of I'm just not overly impressed with the hires. I think they're good, solid, but not great. But I'm actually pretty optimistic for next year. When I look at this team, I think this is a better core football team going into next year than it was coming into this year. Yeah, uh, and you know, kind of teasing ahead, we're going to kind of look, look, you know, break down position by position. But you know, there, there's a couple. There's a couple of interesting places where it'll be interesting to see what happens. Wide receiver, obviously, uh, offensive line, but 
the the big the big issue the, the only thing that really worries me and we'll have to see how it how it kind of builds is the the percentage of leadership that came from that senior class was unbelievable you know everybody talks about you know this has to be Sam Ellinger's team this has to be Sam Ellinger's team that that was Malcolm Roach's team last year that 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 dude it didn't matter what position you played you know where you were when that guy talked everybody on the team listened and they're going to have to, or someone's going to have to step into that role and someone's going to have to step in, you know, to the role that, you know, a Shackelford and, you know, a Colin Johnson, even whenever he was hurt, you know, he was still a, a team leader. Brandon Jones, you know, another guy that just, you know, had heart for days and, and inspired teammates to play for him. You know, all week during the Alamo Bowl, you know, all those, all those underclassmen would talk about was it's so important for us to send these guys off that we love so much with you know with a win and they're gonna have to they're gonna have to find guys that step into that role and and you know they've seen how it's done but they're gonna have to do it themselves next year i'm not uh i'm not dismissing the importance of leadership because it's obvious that this team fought through a lot of situations that a lot of teams would have given up on throughout this season and that is likely due in large part to some of this senior leadership and so it's not nothing at the same time I think there are six starters, you know, out of the people you just named, Devin Duvernay, Colin Johnson, Shackelford, Braun, Malcolm Roach, Brandon Jones. Those are six starters. Yeah. The the defense lost more than that last coming into this year. Yeah. You know, coming into this last season. And this is we're talking the entire team six starters. That is such a better place to start from, especially when we talk about Texas needing to build up depth so that when injuries happen, you have next man up. Well, this year, Texas had a bunch of sophomores and freshmen jumping in. This sophomore class moving into upperclassmen is going to allow them to build that depth and build up this the, the soon-to-be sophomore class and then incoming freshman class. That's what's going to allow them to create the type of depth that they need to not have the turnover. Now, it stinks whenever you have all these returning players and they're all going to have to learn a new system, you know. Um, so there, you, you limit some of the benefits of having returning starters when you've got a brand new defense. Uh, but nonetheless, I just think the talent on this team that's going into the 2020 season is better than the talent that I saw coming in to the 2019 season. And I think that's a big step forward. Uh, yeah, and, and you mentioned especially on defense, it, very much especially on defense. I, I think, uh, you know, obviously Roach is going to hurt, Brandon Jones is going to hurt not having those guys, but everybody else is pretty much back <laughs> on that side of the ball. Not yeah. only that, but how many guys in that secondary got a start this year when someone else was hurt? You know, you, you're talking, you know, you, you, you mentioned, you know, you know, you got eight, maybe eight, nine starters back, but mm-hmm. you've got... 15 to 20 guys who have started a football game, you know, and played in a significant, you know, meaningful snaps. Overshown, Boyce, uh, what, uh, Foster, Stearns, you know, uh, Jamison, Jalen Green. Like, how many? I, you're right there. I mean, there's there's like 10 of them. Yeah. <laughs> and guys that, that you're going to be able to, you know, trust, you know, whenever you – Keep guys fresh. You know, you, you you can rotate in some of these guys in, in meaningful situations, and and know that this guy's been there before. He's he's seen it, and 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 you know, keep guys fresh, and and that's what that's what the Alabamas and the Clemsons of the world have, and and Texas for the first time is going to see you know the other side of that hill. You know, as far as 
nearing championship level depth. You know, we're not saying they're mm-hmm. rolling out five star after five star the way that some of those other programs do, but they're they're closing in on it. Mm-hmm. And and those those big recruiting classes that came at the beginning of uh, Herman's tenure are 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 maturing and. It's going to be their time. And people will say, oh, yeah, but Charlie Strong had big recruiting classes. Um, the difference is we've already seen so many of these kids on the field, and you can see it. They're football players. They're good football players. Whereas with Charlie Strong, they had these big recruiting classes, and not all of them really panned out that well. They they talk about coaching them up, you know, um, and, and developing players. You're all. We've already got a pretty good idea for this sophomore class that's going to be juniors next year. That they're good football players. I mean, there's not much doubt. We've seen them on the field already. They're pretty darn good. Yeah, and there's there's uh, there's something to be said for you know those, those strong guys. Some of them turned into very good football players. You look at that first year mm-hmm. of that Orlando. You know, the first defense Orlando inherited that was you know one of the best in the country. All those guys were strong recruits. But over the last couple of years, those those strong classes have kind of petered out. I mean, there were this year was the last the last full Charlie Strong recruiting class, and you know there's seven seniors that that made it to the end. So uh, I, I just I, I mean you're talking seven seniors made it to the end. How many juniors are are contributing? I mean, Nate Nate na- I looked through it. I just did a quick little glance. Ellinger, Brewer, Kate Brewer. Yeah, I think Okafor's a, a a junior, right? Yeah. Um, like, there's not a heck of a lot. <laughs> yeah. They, that that are going to be seniors this next year that are, that that were are are huge contributing players, and that's not to say that they won't grow into it. I mean, who who knew what Devin Duvernay was going to do this year? Yeah. And, and to become the type of player he was as a senior, so it's not that they they can't. But when I look at it right now, this, this coming up senior class is not that big. In terms of the amount of players that are, are are contributing as starters on this football team, right? And and you know if things go, you know, development wise the way they could, your big problem next year might be you know six or seven of these juniors being ready to go to the NFL because there's there's NFL talent on this roster, you know, especially in that secondary. Let's not get too far yeah. ahead of ourselves. Yeah. I mean, how many people has Texas had drafted in the last decade? You can probably count them on one hand. Yeah. Like, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. But <laughs> but when you've got, you know, when you've got, you know, your Caden Stearns and, and those guys in, in your defensive backfield that, you know, I know pro pro scouts are already looking at. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was sitting next to, you know, a couple of NFL scouts at the, at the Alamo Bowl, and, man, they uh, – they just were drooling over Joseph Osai. I, they, I, I heard them, two of them. You know, I will tell you the teams because it doesn't matter. <laughs> they were the uh, the Redskins and and the Giants were both there, and you know both of them, you know, three or four times were like, man, this kid is going to be a good football player, and and he's what sophomore. He's a sophomore right yeah. now, you know, like yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying though is you know some of these guys, if if they get a chance to break out, they're going to show up on some NFL radars. Going into next year, yeah, but I mean, this is a big if, you know. <laughs> we we were, you know, you know, nobody's gonna buy any, nobody's gonna buy into this is what we could be this off season. I don't think. I think Texas fans have, you know, got burned by that last year, and there's there's co- there's optimism, but it's cautious optimism going into this off season. All right, let's talk some final thoughts. On the season and and looking forward, what are you thinking about this Texas Longhorn football program? I 
you know, I, I want, I want to, you know, we just spent, you know, 15 minutes talking about how bright the future is and how, how much young talent there is. I want to believe that, you know, next year's the year, you know, you know, like I said, for my own sake, I want to have fun at a bowl game. You know, I don't want to go to San Antonio again next year. Uh, I want to believe that next year's the year that, you know, you, you start to see, you know, that you see that tipping point where these guys can become a, you know, complete, a dominant top five football program. But at the same time, this year has to give people at least a little bit of pause as to the process that they have, you know, the process they're using to develop these guys, because this was supposed to be the year that, you know, you turn into a top five football program. I want to see how, how cohesive the whole new staff is together. I want to see what the whole new staff even looks like. You know, we're still, you know, we're still doing hiring and, uh, I'll go back to what I said before. You know, if I was a Texas fan, I'd be cautiously optimistic going into next year. I think I think next year could be a much better season. I think the the landscape of the Big Twelve changes without Matt Rule there for one. Uh, automatically, that's one less hurdle you got to worry about if you want to get to a Big Twelve championship. Because he was, I think he was building that program in the right, I mean, the right way in, in Baylor. <laughs> Obviously, it, yeah. I don't think there's anybody that can argue it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you don't go from one and eleven to twelve and two in, mm-hmm. in three seasons without without knowing what you're doing. Yeah, uh, that's the thanks captain obvious quote of the day, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think uh, I think there's I think that there should be some people in Austin that are really happy that uh, Matt rules up in uh, up in Charlotte today. You know, mm-hmm. being welcome being welcomed in by the welcome wagon. But um, I mean, I don't I don't. I think Texas fans should know that the ceiling of this team next year is is a conference championship and you know a possible you know college football playoff. They're good enough to do that, but you know I just also I know that you you're gonna have to see how this team operates. You're gonna have to see what things look like you know after that trip to LSU next year, and, and you're really not gonna know before then. I don't think anybody's gonna be able to get a good read on this team till we see what what happens in September. So I'll tell you, for my my final thoughts here, I think we might have a first in UT football history next year. The first time that UT will ever be underrated going into a football season. (laughs) Because the entire college football world is so depressed because they all feel, they watched UT do the same thing where they went, oh my God, they went toe-to-toe with LSU and toe-to-toe with OU and then dropped off a cliff. There is no way that Texas is going to be ranked in the top 15 by anybody other than Dave Campbell's. <laughs> anybody else is going to rate Texas, you know, at most low 20s, if not unranked altogether. And I actually think this is going to be a pretty darn good football team. Um, I think it's it, it has the pieces the t- and the talent to really make a run at a big 12 championship next year um, to where you're talking about uh, maybe having one loss going into the OU game, or maybe not even having one depending on who uh, LSU gets to replace, you know, Joe Burrow right over there. Um, I think I, I, I have am actually, we'll call it cautiously optimistic about UT next year because the, the players on the field to me look as talented as I have seen, for a UT football team 
in years in years and years across the board we're talking about maybe getting the moniker of dbu back because of this sophomore class having a uh, a senior quarterback that's a true leader and, and a, an actual Heisman contender. We're talking about freshman talent that hasn't seen the field uh, yet, whether it even be redshirt freshman Jordan Whittington at running back or uh, uh, another kid coming in that's one of the best in the state at, at, at running back. I just I see too much here. I see too much here. I'm, I'm actually pretty optimistic about what next year's Texas Longhorn football team will look like. Yeah, and and you no, know, going back to something, you know, kind of we kind of touched on, you know, you'll know a lot more after they play LSU. It's not going to wait that long, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, Texas fans will figure out a way to talk themselves into being super optimistic way before then. Honestly, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll all see that spring game, and and you know, Texas fans will be, you know, the, you, you can't keep this, you can't keep this program down from high expectations for very long at all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, they. This is rightfully so. This expects. This is a place where they expect to be. You know, a top five program in the country. Past ten years history, be darned with it. Yeah. <laughs> and and they're starving, and they're they're yeah. starving for for a winning program. Uh, but you know, going back to you know, just for just a quick second on this, I, I think one of the things that'll be interesting about next year's team is how they handle not not necessarily like the OUs and the LSUs and the games that, you know everybody and their dog can get up for but you know those trips to manhattan and those trips to uh, iowa state yeah lawrence and you know you know iowa state at home on you know at an 11 a.m kickoff and (laughs) you know stuff like that that i think is going to make the difference because those have been the games that have really hurt texas in the long i mean you know if if you if you beat iowa state last year and you you know, you, you, you finish outright third in the conference. You, four losses, nine and four. It was a very good year for Baylor. I think you go into this offseason feeling a little better. You know, it's amazing the difference one game can make, right? Amazing the difference one jumping off sides can make, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you probably have your whole staff back, which could be good or bad, depending mm. on how you look at it. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that's going to be the difference maybe in, in Tom Herman being able to, to, to look, I mean, to, to spend a little more time you know, as an overseer of the program, it, it is keeping keeping this team at a little more of an even keel through the whole season, and, and we'll we'll see how that goes. I mean, that's that's going to be the test of, uh, you know, whether this team could be a championship team or you know a, another, you know, a team hoping to maybe backdoor into a New Year's Six Bowl or a team looking for a new head coach or or <laughs> us doing a long coaching search podcast next December. <laughs> All right, Chris. Well, I appreciate you coming by. I'm Dalton Sweat sitting down with uh, Chris Dukes, the publisher of uh, Sports Illustrated Longhorn Maven, si.com slash college slash Texas for more. I appreciate you stopping by for another podcast. Hey, it was a good time and it was good to get back out here and, and talk some football after a little bit of a late, a little bit of a, a lull uh, from, from the holidays. All right. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you.